So what do we do? We topically use the name of Jesus as if it's an aspercream that we put on our skin. As if it's just a topical lotion. That means that's, but in the heavenly domain, my friend, the name of Jesus has such power that the angels of heaven bow and say to him, Worthy is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. What power, what grace, what goodness comes through the name of Jesus? Now, we turn around and we want to pray the Lord's Prayer. And we think in our day that the Lord's Prayer was meant to be a prayer that we're supposed to be using. The problem with the Lord's Prayer is, friends, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that was meant for Israel. It's a prayer that was meant for the Jews. It's a prayer that shows them the dynamics of God. It's a prayer that shows them where God is. It's a prayer that shows them that the God of the Jews was providing them with a daily bread. It's a prayer for the Jews that was providing them with the fact that their sins would be forgiven, that there would be no evil against them, and that there was a kingdom of heaven that was to come. All Jew, all Israel, all meant to the Israel. How do we know it? Because they asked Jesus to teach them to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, how did John teach his disciples? To pray for repentance and to pray in a way that Israel could understand the God of whom John the Baptist was teaching. So as they said, Lord, if you will teach us to pray that way, what did Jesus do? He accommodated them with the knowledge of which they requested. They did not request to know how Jesus prayed. They requested to know how it was that John taught his disciples. Now we're talking something totally different. So now we can see why when Jesus began to speak in John chapter 14, that he immediately went to prayer because he knew that there was going to be something the apostles and the disciples would have to know that was going to, now watch this, turn on heaven on their behalf that was going to change the spiritual atmosphere on their behalf. So he says to them, in my Father's house of many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He goes down and they, they're kind of arguing about who he is. And he says, why can't you believe me? Now watch this for the work's sake. Why can't you just receive me for what you have seen me do? Then he tells them how prayer is going to transform their life. Now listen to this part, because this is crucial. Prayer will only transform your life as you start in the cross. It will only transform your life as you start in the cross. Because at the cross, you're going to find out what Jesus Christ did for you so that you could be healed and forgiven. You're going to find him there in a place where all you need to do is come and believe. There's no need to invoke the name of Jesus Christ at the cross because at the cross what you're doing is believing on the works that he has done. 
You're believing and accepting that what God did to send Jesus into the world was done so that you could be saved. Now, as as salvation unfolds, you are healed in the spirit world by professing and confessing your sin and receiving the works of Jesus Christ. What a great place. But that is not the place where prayer begins. Then we go to the tomb. Well, what happened in the tomb? Our body, our flesh died. Are we using the name of Jesus at this point? No, of course not. We are dying because we now have taken on the image of being crucified with Christ. So we are laying ourselves before the Lord. We are dying to Him. And there, our spirit man, for the first time, becomes preserved. We've been saved at the cross. We prayed the prayer for forgiveness, and now we are preserved, and our, our, our flesh man dies. It passes on out of us. We are no longer living there. We've dropped off the affections and the lusts, and now we begin to operate in a walk in the Spirit. Then we go and become delivered from our sin nature through the resurrection, and we still haven't used the name of Jesus. Now we proceed into the high priest where we become sanctified, (coughs) separated, children of God, where Jesus for the first time calls us brethren. He says, you are sanctified by the sanctifier, and he no longer is ashamed to call you brethren. Now it is at the point where brethren comes in that things begin to change for you and me. Our prayer life begins to change because in the first three phases of the acts of Jesus and the replication of the Holy Spirit, that was all about you. You had to get yourself fixed. You had to get yourself forgiven. You had to get yourself free from the flesh. And you had to get your sin nature taken care of. Now, here's why the name of Jesus as being applied in our modern day church world is not operating and functioning at the capacity that Jesus Christ produced it provided it, and declared it to be. Now, what did Jesus say about his name? He said, you're going to do works that I do, and greater works than I do, because I'm going to my Father, and when I get there, I'm going to pray for you. And when I pray for you, things are going to begin to happen, and I will confirm my own word through you with signs and wonders and miracles that are about to follow. So here is Jesus. Now, everything we've done so far, every piece of it, had no requirement of the name of Jesus because that was all the replications of the work of Jesus in the Spirit getting you into a position where you could become a brother of Christ. Now, we don't get that. We don't understand it because there won't be five people in America preach a message like this today. They will all tell you that the moment you got saved, you have access into the throne room of God. Uh Uh-uh. They will all tell you that the moment you got saved, the name of Jesus became absolutely profoundly effective in your life. Uh Uh-uh. Cannot be so. Because Jesus Christ did all of the three works that were done in the earth to prepare you and to produce in you a replication of the Holy Spirit that would bring you into the high priest where you could be called a sanctified, separated brother of his own. So as we look at this, we must understand, when we get into the high priest to the place 
where Jesus Christ has called us brethren. It is there that we now operate in the means to step into the throne room. Watch this for the first time. Now, nah, brother, that can't be true. Pastor Goodman told me that I could go and pray and walk into the throne room of God any time I wanted to. He told me that when I got saved, that I was so saved that I could walk into the throne room of God with my cigarettes hanging out my pocket, with my breath smelling like whiskey, with my hand red from smacking my wife. Huh? Have you ever seen sin in heaven? Have you ever seen stupid in heaven? Huh? You're not going to go there under those conditions, my friend. You're going to have to die. And that old sin nature is going to have to change. In order for you to get to the place where you are being called a sanctified brother, you're going to have to make some changes and some transformations that are going to be different than the old man. They're telling you that you can go to heaven just by grace. Well, here's what I've got to say. Every step that I have just defined is a step of grace. How do we know it? Told you before, Ephesians 4, 7. For the gift of grace is equal to the measure of the gift of Jesus Christ. So we know that grace operates in portions. Grace does not operate in waves. It operates in portions. So here we stand now. For the first time, we're ready to enter into the throne room of God and come through the smoke with Jesus Christ where the Father looks out who, to those who have been called the sanctified brethren and sees them in the smoke from the tabernacle in the same way that he saw Jesus when Jesus came through the smoke and stepped across the threshold that I might remind you that was split from top to bottom at the cross in preparation for the moment when Jesus Christ would come out of the tabernacle and come through that arena where he would walk in and see the, the, uh, the, the uh, elaborate candle where he would see the elaborate place that was the table of showbread where he would come into the place where he was ready to worship at the altar of incense and behind that through the smoke he would step across a threshold that nobody had ever stepped across before. Even the high priest didn't step across that threshold because they had to go behind the veil. But Jesus Christ stepped through the threshold that was once the veil. And whenever he did, he opened the door for you and me to come into the throne room of God for the first time. Oh, my Lord. I never heard that before, preacher. Read the book. So we come through the tabernacle as sanctified brethren. And we enter into the throne room of God for the first time. What did he receive when he entered into the throne room of God? The lordship. That is where he became the exalted son. The exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Now he being exalted has brought us in behind him as brethren into the place of exaltation where Jesus says in Mark 16, in my name. There's the place. There's the start. 
There's the position. Where the name of Jesus Christ becomes available, operational, effective, and absolute control and authority of all of the three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell, is exposed in Jesus Christ. It becomes exposed in anyone who comes in behind him. Now anybody who comes through the smoke as a separated brethren of Jesus Christ, God looks at him and says, I can't tell the difference. There is Jesus or is there Jesus. The one who has come into his lordship is the same. Equal to the portion, equal to the measure of Jesus Christ. And so there we stand up now and we have the ability to speak to everything that has a name, everything that has a tongue. We have the ability here now to lay ourselves before him in complete servitude. We have the ability to use the name of Jesus to speak to our body. We have the ability in the name of Jesus to speak to the a circle of influence around us. We have the ability in the name of Jesus to do all five of those things that Jesus promised us in Mark 16 that we would do. Think about that. But yet we are just spouting off the name of Jesus. We are just throwing out there the name of Jesus. We are saying it as if there's some chance that if we say it loud enough, hard enough, and long enough, God will operate against uh, for us in mercy. Here's the problem, my friend. God is not operating for us in mercy where the name of Jesus is concerned. He is operating in us by the prayer of the one whose names we invoke. Now, the Bible is very clear. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is an intercessor. It says that he is the one that is interceding for what's that mean, Pastor? It means that he's the one that's praying. But see, we don't understand what intercession means. Intercession means that he is the one that is praying either for us, and here's where the world doesn't get it, or against us. That's what intercession does. Intercession is not, God, they need a new car. Oh, God, give them a new car. God said, well, okay, I guess just give it to them. That's how we do our kids at Kmart, Walmart, Target. If they cry loud enough, we just get tired of it because it embarrasses us. And we say, this is how we say it, is it? Just get it. You know what they do? <laughs> That's what they do. They laugh at you behind your back because they literally broke you down. Until you got tired of hearing them call and cry. And we think that's how God operates. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord is going to and fro, looking out, seeking the righteous to show them his strong side. So what do the righteous do? The righteous, as we know, have eliminated that old sin nature that is just going to God as a beggar. We're not beggars in the economy of heaven, my friends. We never have been if we have come the right way. The beggars are those that want to go to the cross and live like hell out there and then talk about what Jesus has done in their life. Those are the beggars. They are the ones that are living in brokenness, bruising, bondage. They are the ones that are living in captivity, and they are the ones that are poor. That doesn't mean they don't have money. It means that in the spirit domain, they are absolutely bankrupt. Why? Because they've never followed Jesus. 
They've come to the cross and said, forgive me. And their purpose is not to follow Jesus. It's to miss hell. That's why they go to the cross in most cases. They tell them, oh, you're going to die and go to hell. You're going to die and go to hell. A man said, well, I don't want to go to hell. What I got to do? I say, I believe in Jesus. Well, I believe in Jesus. Then I go back out the world. And I live exactly like I did before because somebody, Mr. Good Preacher, has told them that all they had to do was say they believed in Jesus. Well, now, if that was the case, I want to ask you a question. Why does the Bible show us the cross? Why does the Bible take us to the tomb? Why does the Bible tell us about the resurrection? Why does the Word of God declare that Jesus Christ became the high priest? Why does the Bible say he became the Lord? Why does the Bible say he became the man in the Godhead? And why does the Bible say that we would never be complete until we found him as the man in the Godhead? See, we, we have taken the word of God and we have done what I call self-determined. We have self-determined what it is we're going to believe, what it is we're going to receive, what it is we're going to teach, and what it is we're going to tell. And if it don't meet our self-determination, guess what we do with it? It's as if we take that page and rip it out, ball it up, throw it away like it didn't exist. Do you know that in this world right now, there are a group of preachers who are rewriting the Word of God, taking out all of the parts that they agree they don't like, and writing a new Bible that reflects what they determine that you ought to know. What a sad commentary. The Word of God has never changed. It never will change. You can write it out or you can write it in. Either way. It will not change. Why? Because Jesus Christ has never changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as we make it across this threshold into his lordship, there is the place where we begin to operate in his name. Now, what does lordship mean? Well, lordship means that you, who have become a sanctified brother, are willing to totally surrender yourself to his lordship. That means that you are willing to say to everything that has a name and everything that has a tongue and everything that comes against you in every way and any way that you are willing to bring all of that into subjection so that you can be a completed servant of Jesus Christ. Now, when that occurs, what's going to happen next? Now, let me show you this before I forget it. In Hebrews chapter 7, you're going to find out that <coughs> the writer of the book of Hebrews began to teach this line. And he said that Jesus Christ bore their, trans he, he bore their sin, he bore their transgression, and he interceded for them from the throne room of God. Now, why is that important, Pastor? Because Jesus Christ was not an intercessor. When he was on the cross, he was a sacrifice. Jesus Christ was not an intercessor. When he was the tomb, he was a dead flesh. He was not an intercessor when he was in the region of the damned. He was there taking the keys of death and hell. The keys of the old nature. Burying the old nature and coming out a new man. 
according to 2 Corinthians 5. He was not an intercessor when he went to be the high priest over his own sacrifice. He was a worshiper. He was not an intercessor when he became Lord. He only became an intercessor whenever he became the man in the Godhead bodily. What's that tell me? Well, that takes me over to John chapter 16. Because in John chapter 14, he became the intercessor that would allow you through the comforter, the one called alongside to help, the one of whom he said in John 14, 21, if you love me, keep my commandments, and my Father will love you, and I will love you, and I will manifest myself to you. Where did he do that from? How did he do that? Did he do it from the cross? He manifested himself as a Savior. Did he do it from the tomb? He manifested himself as a dead flesh who was preserved. Did he do it from the, re from the resurrection? No. From there, he delivered you into the new creation. Did he do it from the high priesthood? No. There, he gave you the ability to become sanctified and brethren. Did he do it from his lordship? No. From there, he took control of everything in three worlds, in heaven, hell, and earth and everything in you that had a name. And he gave you the opportunity through that sanctified brother to become operative as him being Lord over everything and anything, and thereby to begin to use his name. But then whenever he got into the throne room where he became the man in the Godhead bodily, all of a sudden he began to intercede for you. Why? Romans 8 tells us. Romans 8 tells us that he is searching and seeking in your heart as with the Holy Spirit. And they're looking around to see what the will of God is for you. When did he do that, Pastor? Well, according to Hebrews chapter 7, he did that whenever he became the intercessor as the man in the Godhead bodily. So now he is going to God and saying, Father, I'm praying for them. I told them I would pray for them, and I'm praying for them. And they've asked me to become a millionaire. Father, they ain't ready to become a millionaire. They want to become a millionaire out of their flesh. They want to become powerful in their flesh. But Father, you and I both know that if we were to give them what it is they're asking, that would send them right back into hell, the same uh, identity of which they had before. You know that if we gave them exactly what it is. Now, Father, here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to give them a good job. I'm asking you to allow them to produce and prepare and provide for themselves. I'm asking you to allow them to show their faithfulness to me. I'm asking you to give them what they need to satisfy the need of provision. Now remember, when God dealt with Israel, he provided them food in the morning. He provided them a light by day a night, and a cloud by day. He did not just say, that here it is. The matter wouldn't even last more than a day. God has never been, why? Why, friend? Because God knows exactly what it is you need. He also knows that your wants are going to be reflective of your flesh. The lust of the eye, the lust of the, 
uh, flesh and the pride of life. He knows that. So Jesus is operating. Now, here's what I found out about Jesus. If you go to him on these earthly conditions and you spend your time dealing with God on the earthly, everything is about the earthly. My money, my home, my car, my needs, my clothes, my this, my that, my the other. He's going to go to the Father and ask the Father, what is it that we need to provide that is going to take care of them, that is going to sustain them, that is going to bless them, but is going to keep them walking in faith towards me. Now then, when you go on a spiritual need, the whole tenor of this thing changes. Everything changes. Now we've been taught, tell me if we haven't, God wants you wealthy. God wants you rich. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to have the fat of the land. God wants you, well, my friend, God is God, and He can do whatever it is He wants to do upon whomever it is He wants to do it. What I found out is those that are prospering are those that are preaching that gospel. That's what I found out. Those that are making the money, flying the jet airplanes, living in the big houses, buying the big properties. One man owns a complete military base, for goodness sake. Those are the guys that are getting the prosperity. Those that are giving to them are waiting. And they're saying, be faithful, be faithful. The bottom line is, when we perceive wealth as the mechanism by which we say how God encounters us, then, my friend, we are probably not going to receive from the throne room of God what Paul would say was the will of God for us. Now, what can we count on? Well, we can count on anything that's spiritual. Anything that's spiritual. When you look into the five things that Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, for instance, he said, you'll cast down devils. That's spiritual. That's not natural. He said, you'd speak in tongues. That's spiritual. That's not natural. He said that the, the things from the outside of you that have to be demonic in nature, that are attacking you from the outside, you could count on the Lord working with you where that's concerned. Those things that are attacking you on the inside, what are they? Well, they might be a heart problem, a lung problem, a liver problem, a gallstone problem, a bladder problem, a kidney problem, a joint problem, You can, whatever you name in your body. Let me tell you about those. In the destruction of the curse, Jesus Christ destroyed everything that the curse had ever done. So you can count on using the name of Jesus and seeing Him begin to do signs. Well, why? Because He told us He would. That's what the name of Jesus does. That's how it operates. It comes into the spiritual domain and it begins to change the things of which Jesus Christ died, which the curse is one of them, to release off of your back. So we have this as a promise. Things that are spiritual. Things that we need to know in the Spirit. Things that we need to have revealed to us about the Word of God. There you can find it. Use the name of Jesus there. Now someone is going to say, yeah, but Pastor Mike, what about if I'm destitute? What about if I don't have anything? What about if I? What about if I? What about if I? How come I? Why? If I didn't have this? Well, then I'm going to tell you this right here. I don't see you. We had one. We had one, didn't we? Destitute. We had one. 
What happened? She found faith in Jesus Christ. And she began to believe on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ transformed her life. Transformed her life. Changed her. Totally. Changed her. Gave her a new life. Gave her new jobs. Increased her influence. Just gave her a new car. Amen? That's the God we saw. How did that happen? Did she go uh, uh, praying, God, in the name of Jesus, make me a man? No, she said, God, I love you. Every time the church doors are open, she comes in this place and worships a living God. She's not saying, God, give me, give me, give me. My name ain't Jimmy, but you can still give me. No, that's not the way she's living. She's not doing that. She is seeking a living God who is ministering to her and using her and then subsequently blessing her. How does this come, my friend? It comes through the spiritual. Now we know where the name of Jesus works. It works in the spiritual. It changes the spiritual. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Think about that. And if you keep my commandments, what are those commandments? What are they? What are they? Well, those commandments are that we love one another. Those commandments are that we believe on the name of the Son of Almighty God. Those commandments are that we follow the works and the replications of Jesus Christ. Whenever you do that, he said, if you do, my Father will love you. What's going to happen from there? He said, I will also love you. And I will manifest myself to you. How's he going to do that? He's going to manifest himself to you in such a way that when you speak the name of Jesus, it activates him and he begins to pray. What's he praying for, Pastor? When I activate him in the spiritual realm, he begins to pray. For the absolute meeting of every need. Now we know why Paul could say, My God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory. Now we know why Paul could say, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. But in all things, my God shall supply all my need. I'm strengthened in Christ Jesus. I'm not looking around at what I see or how I feel. None of those things move me. What I'm doing is I've set my eye on the prize. And the prize is Jesus Christ. And the prize is seated at the right hand of God. And the prize is saying to me in my spirit, come on across the threshold. Walk into the throne room of God. Begin to pray and I will stand up with you. And I will pray with you. And I will speak on your behalf. And when you get done, God is going to release every promise that is in me, that is yea and amen. Hallelujah. What a blessing. Bow your head and close your eyes. The name of Jesus released to you in every promise that is yea and amen. The name of Jesus assured to be revealed to you in the promises that are in Him. 
As you sit there and pray, I want you to simply say, Lord, maybe I didn't understand all of the works and replications of Jesus. Maybe I didn't understand that I was supposed to go from the cross to the tomb on over into the deliverance from my sin nature. Come out of there as the righteousness of God. Meeting the standard of God. Maybe I didn't understand that, Lord. Maybe I don't understand what it means to be sanctified, separated, into service, and called a brother. But today, God, I ask you to reveal this in my heart. The pastor prayed that you would show us what needs to be done, what needs to be understood, what needs to be demonstrated. The pastor prayed that. And so today I ask you, in my spirit, man, to produce yourself in me so that I can be a sanctified brother. So that I can walk through the smoke and enter into the throne room of God. And you look at me and say, who is that? Is that you, Jesus? And Jesus says, No, that's my brother. That's my sister. They have come through me. God looks at them and says, Looks at you and says, what would you pray me to do for you today? And so I say that to you. What would you pray Him to do for you today? What would you pray Him to do for you today? I don't know what it is. I cannot tell. But the Spirit knows. Because He's digging around in your heart right now. And Jesus Himself is searching you. And right now as you sit there, the Holy Ghost is speaking in your ear and saying, you need to get this under the blood. Grace is sufficient if you will turn it loose in the blood. Grace is sufficient. So as you pray, as I've often said, there comes a moment of decision. That moment of decision is this. Are you going to decide to side in with the Spirit of God that's ministering in your heart? Or are you going to decide to say, no, I'll let it go. No, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. I'm not going to accept it. Are you going to side in with yourself, with your old life, with the way you've been living, with your old thought pattern? which makes you your own God? Or are you going to side in with the Holy Spirit who is functioning from the very voice of Jesus Christ? Because you're going to make a decision one way or the other. So as I believe today, you are right now destroying through the Spirit of God that piece or part of you 
that's been hidden in your heart. As I believe in the Spirit of God, <coughs> you are coming out of that old self and beginning to walk the trail that Jesus walked. I speak to you in the name of Jesus. When I said that, the Holy Spirit activated and Jesus began to pray. I speak to you in that name today. The Holy Spirit says, be reproved, be convicted and convinced that the changes that are required in your life of which you know must be let go. And when you do, the Spirit of God will undergird you, will pick you up, will give you strength. And the Holy Spirit will take you, take you through this process and replicate Jesus in you. Lay it down and set it aside. Stand to your feet if you do and lift your hands and say, Father, I receive today. I receive today. I receive your word as if it was spoken only in this room for me. I receive your words as if they were spoken only to me today. For I desire the name of Jesus. And I want the name of Jesus to operate in me. I want it to be effectual. And I want it to be fervent. And I want it to change and transform me until I come into the throne room of God and you say, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus says, no, that's Mike. That's Juliana. That's Brandon. That's Jim. That's Susan. That's Charles. They came through me, Father. Glory to God. They came through me, Father. And they stand before you today sanctified as my brother, totally eradicated from sin, and the devil is defeated upon every step of their life. We receive it today, Jesus. We honor you. We thank you. Give the Lord a big hand clap of praise. Now for those of you that are listening, if you don't know Jesus, it's the process begins by your saying, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know Jesus. The Word of God declares that that pronunciation and confession of your sin, that Jesus Christ will come in and He'll change your life. And then the process begins. The growth, the maturity that must happen begins. So if you don't know Him today, you simply say, Jesus, Forgive me. I'm a sinner. I want to come to you and be changed. I want you to transform me into your sanctified brother and bring me into the throne room of God. Simply pray it. And if you believe it, then the Word of God declares that he that believes on the Son 
is no longer condemned. Now grow in Him. Find someone who will preach the Word of God. Stay with us through whatever means you're listening. And may the Word of God grow in you until you mature into the greatness that God has planned for your life. I extend my hand and say in the name of Jesus now, minister to those who are listening, who are believers, who have never come to the knowledge of which I'm teaching, preaching. May they see it. And may they appropriate it into their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, may God richly bless you is my prayer. We love you. We appreciate you. May peace surround you. And may this week you be encouraged in Jesus Christ. God bless you tonight at 6 o'clock on Facebook. We'll look forward to seeing you there.